Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. Today, we're talking about the secrets of a top five TED Talk. If you're like me, you're probably a fan of TED Talks, and if you've seen your fair share, no doubt you've heard of, if not actually watched, The Power of Vulnerability by Brene Brown. Brene is a researcher, a college professor, and author of books like Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, Braving the Wilderness. She gave a TED Talk a few years back called The Power of Vulnerability, and it has now been viewed over 33 million times. It's the fourth most viewed TED Talk of all time. And a couple years ago, Brene went on the Tim Fair show, another podcast, one that I enjoy from time to time, and she talked about the experience of preparing for, delivering, and then living through the viral outcome of having an uber-popular TED Talk. Now, of course, TED Talks and sermons are two different things, but they are both public speaking presentations in which the speaker has worked up intentional content with the goal of informing uh, and making an impression upon the people who are listening. Obviously, sermons take it another step further where we want to transform people people's lives and be instruments for the Holy Spirit and the work of God in people's lives. But there are certainly transferable things, which is why I think so many pastors love TED Talks. And so I'll put a link to the full 80-minute conversation between Tim and Brene, uh, so you can go and listen to that if you're interested. But I've pulled out a few key things from the interview that I think can translate to us as preachers and maybe give us a chance to learn from Brene's experience delivering a top five TED Talk. The first takeaway is that Brene felt relatively comfortable within the environment. This was not the main TED conference, the main TED stage where people pay tons of money and come from all around the world to hear speakers, but rather this was one of those independently organized TEDx events put on by universities or local communities. Maybe you've got one in your area. This one was organized by the university where she taught, so it was a setting that she was comfortable with. Uh, It was a reasonable number of people in the audience, likely many of the people in the audience were some of her students or colleagues or at least people already familiar with her work. And then to me, the most amazing revelation of this entire interview is that she didn't realize her talk was being recorded. Maybe she saw cameras or not, but either way, she certainly had no idea that it was going to be uploaded to TED.com and then become a viral sensation across the internet. Like we said, it's been seen over 33 million times, but she didn't have the pressure of that weighing on her shoulders. She thought that she was delivering a talk one time for this group of people in a place where she was relatively comfortable. And so I want to ask you, are you comfortable in the places where you deliver your sermons or where you teach your lessons or where you give your presentations? Now, it may not be a high pressure situation like a TED Talk, although we may feel that way on days like Easter or Christmas Eve. Uh, But even if it's a sort of quote unquote regular Sunday, are you comfortable within the space? Is it set up for you to succeed? Is your day or your morning, is your Sunday morning structured for you to to make the best effort that you can. Uh, Maybe you feel the pressure to be out greeting people before the service, but you're kind of an introvert and you really could use that time uh, to focus and get ready. Uh, Maybe you need to restructure your morning so that you touch base with people and greet people after the service so that you can sort of save up that energy. Or maybe there's some way that the sound system is set up or some way that you're, you know, you're standing behind the pulpit, but you would be more comfortable walking around or vice versa. What are the things in your environment that you can 
can control to make you more comfortable or if you're dealing with things perhaps you have a little bit of a fear of public speaking the interesting thing is the call to preaching comes to people who are afraid of public speaking that's just part of the amazing uh, calling of God and the fact that the gospel is so powerful that it can uh, call us to do things that we're uncomfortable with are there things that you can do before the service are there things that you can do in the service leading up to your sermon to make you more comfortable the second point is that while Brene was comfortable within the environment, she wasn't too comfortable personally. She told Tim in the interview, quote, if I'm not a little bit nauseous when I'm done, I probably did not show up like I should have shown up. Maybe you can relate to this feeling. You know when the sermon's done whether you were really in it or not, whether you gave it your best effort or not, whether you opened yourself up to be a channel for God's grace and mercy and, and a platform for the gospel, or whether you were just going through the motions. You can sort of feel that after after a talk or a sermon or a presentation, can't you? I get something similar on the front end. I'm not afraid of public speaking, rooms full of people, microphones and lights, they don't bother me, but yet before I deliver a sermon or teach a workshop or even do some of the interviews for this podcast, I get a little bit nervous. And it's not that I'm afraid of what I'm about to do, but I've kind of deduced that it's this physiological and spiritual recognition that I have a responsibility and that I'm taking it seriously. Maybe you feel the same way. If you're too calm before something starts, maybe you're not fully dialed into what you are about to do. And so I would encourage you, the next couple times that you preach or teach a lesson or give a presentation, pay really close attention to how you feel about five to ten minutes before you go on and five to ten minutes after you're done. What's your breathing like? What's your heart rate like? What is the adrenaline level that you're feeling? How's your stomach feeling? What are these senses like? And, and, and try to differentiate between maybe the fears and things that we talked about in point one that we need to eliminate, and then maybe the feelings or sensations that you can focus and channel to help you be the best that you can be. The third point is that Brene demonstrated both a passion for and familiarity with her content. Uh, being a professor and a researcher and a writer, she has thought about and written about and spoken about these topics many, many times over. And she could have easily just pulled out one of her class lectures or read a section from one of her books. But instead, she called this talk the combination of an accident and an experiment. And we'll talk a little bit more about what she experimented with later on, but the point is she didn't just pull out something that she had in her back pocket. She prepared something new and she tried to make it a fresh experience, not only for the listeners, but for her as a presenter. And when we push ourselves, when we write something new or even rearrange things to try to keep it fresh for ourselves, that becomes a channel for our passion. It maybe gives us a chance to reignite our passion for a topic that we've talked about many times before. You see, if she just delivered a class lecture that she gives every year, there's a chance that the familiarity would have come through, but not the passion. And familiarity without passion can be really boring. But this wasn't a fly-by-the-seat-of-her-pants experiment. This was an intentionally prepared presentation. She wasn't improving. She still had a level of familiarity with what she wanted to say. You see, because passion without familiarity can be really shallow and disorganized. However, when we join the two, passion and familiarity, we have the potential for something amazing. 
Next, let's talk a little bit about how Brene prepared and practiced for the event. To me, it seems like she focused less on the what and the how of what she was going to say and more on the why she wanted to say something. When asked specifically how she prepares and practices, Brene said, quote, so when I rehearse in the traditional way, I get so prefrontal cortex. I get so wrapped up in, oh, wasn't I supposed to pause here? Wasn't I supposed to do this there that I'm not connecting? And so for me, it is use images as the arc. Understand what every image means to me and what I want to wrap around that image and then require that the house lights are on so I can see people's faces. You see, Brene didn't prepare a manuscript that she read from or even a manuscript that she memorized. Instead, she gave her presentation a series of images. And you can do this specifically with slides, props in person, or you can just use an outline of images in your mind or in your notes. And if you're someone who's used to writing and reading or memorizing a manuscript, this might seem totally terrifying, totally crazy, and you know what? It might not be for you. But when I've heard the preachers who are really good at preaching without notes talk about how they do it, they talk about using this same process. It's less about getting the right words in the right order, although there may be certain words or phrases that they memorize because they want to get those specific things correctly. But in order to make the talk flow and in order to connect with the congregation, what they do is they memorize movements, or as Brene calls them, images. Memorize the segments of your talk. Understand what you want to say and why you want to say it, and then make sure that you're keyed into the reactions of the congregation or the audience or the workshop or your class or whatever setting that you're in. If you're not tied to specific words on a page, it allows you to create a dynamic experience, exchanging energy and focus and connection with the people with whom you're speaking. This leads directly into our next point, and that was that her goal was to make a connection with the people in the room. I think it bears repeating because it's so remarkable that a talk that's been viewed over 33 million times was delivered by someone who didn't realize it was being filmed. In fact, Brene says that she rarely allows her presentations to be filmed because for her, it's all about that moment in that room with that group of people. A couple episodes back in part one of my interview with Reverend Matt Miofsky, we talked about the fact that many sermons nowadays are recorded, either audio or video, and they're distributed via podcast or on your website or even live streamed. And so our sermons nowadays have a chance to live on like a TED Talk does. It has a chance to have an exponential reach beyond just that moment, but we can't forget about the importance of that moment. We have a responsibility to be engaged with the people in the room with us, the people that were passing the people in our community, if we're just preaching for the camera or just preaching for the recording or just hoping to get some viral video or some sermon that's going to go wild on the internet, the people in the room are going to notice and it's going to kill a lot of the energy. We are there to have a moment with these folks and the recordings capture that moment. Oftentimes the things that go viral, and again, the goal of a sermon is not to go viral, but the things that do tend to go viral and the things that tend to have an impact on people are because they captured an authentic, genuine moment that is being had, not one that was manufactured or planned to go viral. So I would encourage you to make your goal similar to Brene's goal, to make an impact on the people in the room. 
Next, let's dive into what made this talk an experiment. The night before her talk, Brene told her husband, I think I'm going to actually be really vulnerable while I'm talking about vulnerability. And he told her that this was a terrible idea. Yet throughout the talk, she told stories about herself that really let her guard down. And after finishing her talk, she seemed to agree with her husband, vowing, I will never do that again. And yet it was that vulnerability as she was speaking that made it so impactful. Now, Brene defines vulnerability in this way, uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. She says vulnerability is about the willingness to show up and be seen when you have zero control over the outcome. And of course, one of the challenges of preaching is that we can convince ourselves that we are supposed to be the expert. We're supposed to be the example. We're supposed to be the one with the answers. Whether or not we've gone to seminary, hopefully we've done some sort of study and preparation for this message or this lesson or this talk. And if we're a pastor, then in some ways we kind of are a professional Christian. We're supposed to set a good example, right? We're supposed to give good advice, But yet life is hard for us too. Life is messy for us too. And it's oftentimes from our doubts or from our mistakes or from our struggles or from our questions that we have our deepest experiences of faith. And in sharing those things, oftentimes we can have a big impact on the faith of those people listening. So we need to be willing to be vulnerable. We need to be willing to let down our own guard a little bit. We become infinitely more relatable when we can say to our congregation, me too. And our final point relates to this last one, like points number one and two, being comfortable but not too comfortable. We want to be vulnerable, but we don't want to be too vulnerable. We don't want to stray into being creepy. There is an important difference between vulnerability and oversharing. In fact, Brene tells Tim in the interview, vulnerability minus boundaries is not vulnerability. It can be desperation. It can be oversharing. It can be manipulation. It can be a lot of different things, but it's not vulnerability. Brene noted that it's not that there are things we can't ever share, but we need to be aware of our context. We need to share appropriate things at the right time in the right place with the right group of people. There are some things that you're going through that just aren't ready to be in a sermon yet, but they might be good things to go over with your covenant group or with a mentor or with a counselor. We've all sat through those sermons or talks that got a little too personal And the honest truth is that it makes the audience or the congregation uncomfortable, and it takes the focus off of the gospel and the message that you're trying to communicate, and it puts the focus on you, and it puts the focus on the discomfort that we're feeling. Nadia Boltz-Weber put it this way, I always try to preach from my scars, not my wounds. And so to recap the secrets of a top five TED Talk, you want to be comfortable, but not too comfortable. You want to demonstrate both passion and familiarity. You maybe want to focus less on what and how you're going to say something and more on why you want to say something. Your goal should be to make a connection with the people in the room and you want to be vulnerable, but not too vulnerable. As I said, we will include a link to the full 80-minute conversation between Brene Brown and Tim Ferriss in the show notes. We'll also put a link to Brene's talk, The Power of Vulnerability, if you'd like to check it out. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. 
If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.